The Revolt of 2020 by Patrick Johnston. Copyright 2011 by Dr. Patrick Johnston. Read by Daniel Meyer. By kind permission of the author, this reading of The Revolt of 2020 is available for free distribution. Stay tuned at the end of this reading for more information and links to additional resources. Chapter 17. Austin, Texas. Robert Boniface, please. This is Rick Rockefeller, Mrs. Boniface heard when she picked up the phone. Excuse me, she said instinctively. At first she expected it to be a prank call, and she was not as amiable as she would have been if she had thought it was really the second richest man in America. This is Rick Rockefeller. I would like to speak to Mr. Boniface on a matter of critical importance. Just a moment. She paused before putting the phone on mute and calling out to her husband who was in his office. He hollered through the closed door. Yes? She opened the door. You're not going to believe this, but I think Rick Rockefeller is on the phone for you. Mr. Rick Rockefeller? The Rick Rockefeller? That's what he said. Rick Rockefeller makes or breaks third world nations with his investments and goes to the moon for a vacation. What does he want with me? Rob Boniface had a skeptical grimace as he picked up the phone. Hello? Mr. Robert Boniface? Yes, may I help you? This is Rick Rockefeller. I think we can do a lot for each other, Mr. Boniface. Can we schedule an appointment? What is this concerning? I have a proposition for you. You probably know that I am the CEO of CBS. The moral compass of the primetime talk shows is moving to the right. NBC has John Racker, Fox has Dennis Radman, ABC has Juan McEnray, MSNBC has Tanya Hardin, and CNN has Stone Cold Stephan Austin. Well, we need you, Mr. Boniface, and when we get you, we'll have the best. I don't think they call him Stone Cold anymore, answered Boniface. I suppose you're correct, said Rockefeller. And I'm not necessarily a sports enthusiast, Robert said with a wide grin, which appears to be a prerequisite to hosting primetime talk shows, unless you consider Sudoku a sport. Rockefeller's laugh was brief, like he didn't want to waste time with small talk. He came right to the point. We're impressed with your ability to articulate what apparently a large percentage of primetime viewers believe, or at least would like to hear on a regular basis. After two days on the job, our polls rank you as the most popular spokesman for the Christian right. Really? Yes. You're confident, unembarrassed about your views, radical but realistic. We need you, and since you're going to be the most popular talk show personality in America, you need us as well. Rick Rockefeller thinks I'm good? A Bible verse came to his mind. He that flatters a man spreads a net before his feet. Thank you for the offer, Mr. Rockefeller, but I'm... $250,000 a year for a three-year contract sound good? You'll have an hour nightly, five nights a week. You'll be our on-the-spot commentator during times of crisis. Rockefeller went on describing the duties and perks, but Robert Boniface wasn't listening. His mind was still stuck on those first few words. $250,000 a year. Imagine it, Mr. Boniface, all of America listening in as you expound upon the principles of religious conservatism on primetime television, interviewing the authors and leaders of your choice. This job could go a long way toward advancing your cause. If I know you, the money's secondary. You're a man of principle, and... Robert Boniface's mind was buzzing. A quarter of a million dollars times three equals... What do you say? Can we meet? Sure, absolutely. I can be in Austin by tomorrow morning. Name the time and the place. Not tomorrow, the day after tomorrow. I have a meeting with the governor at 7 a.m. How about a quarter till nine in front of the state house the day after tomorrow? My limo will be at the front to pick you up at 8.45 sharp. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Rockefeller? Yes? I would still be able to work for the governor, right? A pause on the other end of the line made Boniface's heart skip a beat. You'll be stationed in New York, Mr. Boniface, so that won't be possible. Those words were like a fly in his ointment. His smile faded to a frown. I'll think about it, Mr. Rockefeller. 
I can see this job with the governor is important to you, but I won't go a dollar above 335000 a year for a three-year contract. That's a $1 million contract and one fantastic golden opportunity for you. Are you up to the task? Yes, sir. Boniface found himself unable to restrain a giddy smile. Until Wednesday, then, 8.45. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Governor Henry Adams was at the office an hour earlier than usual, finding sleep impossible. The briefing he had received on the rioting made everything seem surreal. The crisis came so fast on the heels of his speech that he was second-guessing himself. He knew his faith was simply being tested, but the questions to which he had no answers haunted him. What, after all, were the most likely scenarios that were bound to unfold in the coming weeks? Would his popularity take a plunge? Would the feds pressure the legislature to impeach him? Was the federal government going to send in the troops to enforce Roe v. Wade and AMA versus the United States? What if the FBI and the BATF charged in with guns blazing to enforce Brighton's executive orders? Would the guard and the highway patrol obey his orders and resist them? Could he actually give those orders and risk full-scale war with the most powerful military in the world? Would the Department of Justice charge him for violating the president's executive orders, or would they indict him for the more life-threatening crime of treason? He knew it wasn't beyond this president to push for such measures. She could even have him assassinated. He didn't think she was beyond that at all. Henry Adams was between the rock and a hard woman. He was coming down to obedience to God or Brighton. He was committed to do right, regardless of the risk. He stared down at a stack of local and national newspapers beside his desk. They were full of merciless criticism of him and the Texas Life Bill. He read a portion of a few of the articles and editorials, but he did not finish a single one. It was the expected media hysteria, endorsing the irrational fear of being forced by the state to convert to Christianity, fear of lynch mobs hunting down homosexuals and abortionists, fear of losing federal funds for Social Security, education, welfare, and Medicare. The fearmongers warned about elderly men and women starving and freezing to death this winter because they could not afford their bills, thanks, of course, to Governor Adams' insane political maneuver that forced the federal government to withhold Social Security checks from recipients in Texas. Henry Adams didn't have any respect at all for the media. He was glad that he chose Pastor Robert to be his press secretary. Many of Henry Adams' top aides repeatedly referred to his recent action as suicidal, especially the decision to put his pastor in front of the press to defend the Texas Life Bill with the zeal of a Marine and the authority of a Pharisee. But Adams couldn't stomach the thought of having some hireling represent him who would take the path of least resistance and offer nothing more than lip service to the truth. No, Robert Boniface would be his errand. Henry Adams would carry the staff, and Robert Boniface would do the talking. The resistance in the southeastern United States and in Montana encouraged Henry Adams. Many sheriffs and mayors boldly and publicly refused to comply with Brighton's sweeping gun control measures. Many juries refused to indict those convicted of violating Brighton's arbitrary executive orders. Perhaps this political leap of faith was what God was looking for in America. It's when the little shepherd boy faces off with the mighty warriors like Goliath that God shows his might. It was when Elijah was outnumbered 700 to 1 at Mount Carmel that God sent fire down from heaven. God prefers that his man be the underdog. We see him whittling down Gideon's small band of soldiers to fight a massive army. Why? So no flesh can glory in his presence. We see it throughout the Bible. Outnumbered, undereducated, and outwitted. God's underdogs, little David, Gideon, Elijah, Moses, John the Baptist, and Peter, accomplished the greatest exploits in tragic national crises. They were in the great cloud of witnesses, and he knew they were watching. There was a knock at the door, and Robert Boniface entered. Boniface took one look at the stack of newspapers, and he shook his head. You haven't been reading the paper, have you? I was just skimming them. Don't waste your time, Henry. You'd fare better reading your Bible. You're probably right. Adams picked up the entire six-inch stack of newspapers without hesitation and dropped them into his wastebasket with a sigh of relief. Have a seat, Pastor. The conversation was interrupted with a buzz of the intercom on the governor's desk. I said no interruptions. 
I'm sorry, Governor. You said no interruptions unless it was important. The state attorney's on line one, and he said it was very important. Very important? The governor glanced at Pastor Robert, and both raised their eyebrows. Thanks, Sally. He touched the intercom button and greeted the unwelcomed cyber guest whose stern eyes and furrowed brow emanated soberness from the monitor on the edge of the governor's desk. Hello, Tim. You have a moment, Governor? What can I do for you? He had never seen Tim Drake so somber. Sir, you've made some drastic political moves in public comments recently, and, well, we need to talk about it. What don't you understand about my comments? answered the governor. I'm the highest-ranking attorney in the state of Texas, sir, and I need to be up front with you. You're going to have some legal problems trying to inhibit the freedoms of Texans to get an abortion or a euthanasia procedure in keeping with the respective Supreme Court decisions as well as congressional and executive legislation. Oh, really? Henry Adams feigned surprise at the criticism. The last attorney general left because of his lack of commitment to the right to life. I thought we had remedied that deficiency with you. I am pro-life, sir, but you can't defy the judiciary. The judiciary has been defying the Constitution, the governor answered. They've been defying divine law. Why can't I pick the right side? The attorney general answered, It's the government we have, and we have to work within the rules, or else we will have anarchy. Work within the rules? Whose rules? We already do have anarchy, Tim. Where have you been? Do you know what happens in mother's wombs? Do you know how many good Christians have been incarcerated? For once we're going to begin to work within the right rules. Condemn the judicial ruling if you must in your speeches, Drake answered. But there's nothing else you can do about it, sir, besides appeal. Your constituents will understand. Well, I'm glad to disappoint you, Tim. The Texas legislature will ban abortion and physician-assisted suicide, and I will arrest and prosecute anyone who tries it. I was hoping I could convince you to back off a bit and try to work within the law, answered Drake. I am working within the law, said Adams. Genuine law. Are you hearing anything I'm saying? If anything, your lousy arguments for submitting to tyranny have strengthened my resolve to resist lawlessness and work within the law. Tim Drake laughed disrespectfully, and the governor took note. You are welcome to your opinion, Mr. Drake, but our opinions diverge so drastically on this critical subject that I must strongly urge you to rethink whether you should continue in your present service to my administration. I serve the state of Texas, sir, answered Drake. Strictly speaking, I could have you brought up on hate speech charges. That is within my power, and some have argued that it is my obligation to do so. You don't want that, do you? His eyes darted to a stack of letters beside his monitor, full of legal arguments and threatened sanctions. The letters were from the Democratic Minority Whip of the State Legislature, the U.S. Attorney General, the FBI, Homeland Security, and several representatives from Washington, D.C. The most ominous letter was on top of the stack and was written on White House letterhead. Ah, Tim, you are treading on dangerous ground now. This is extortion. Or does your law dictionary change the definition of extortion if the state attorney is doing it? No, I'm just giving you legal advice, Drake said. I'm afraid you are doing much more than that, Mr. Timothy Drake. You are threatening me. You are abusing the power of your privileged position in order to coerce me into changing my domestic agenda. Henry Adams saw the color drain from the face of his state's attorney as he spoke. If I've done something wrong, then you should prosecute me whether I change my agenda or not, rather than try to manipulate me with your threats. Mr. Drake moved his lips to speak, and beads of sweat unified into a single drop to roll down his forehead. You misunderstand. I was just trying to inform you of the legal implications of what you are saying and doing. It's in my job description. You did much more than inform me of the legal implications of my actions, and I have a witness. Say hi, Robert. Robert Boniface briefly stepped in view of the camera on top of Governor Adams' computer monitor. The state attorney's eyes fastened upon Boniface, and he snarled in disdain. I'm not going to bring you up on charges, sir. I was just informing you. You call it whatever you want, but I want your resignation on my desk immediately. Understand? Yes, sir. I'm not only shocked by Governor Adams' frank betrayal of the voters of Texas, but I'm just as shocked that some of you would defend his comments, said one of the highest-ranking Republicans in front of a packed Texas legislature. 
I think the legislature needs to be the common sense of the state government and ignore this outrageous request to ban abortion and euthanasia. We have no right to throw off the federal legislation and Supreme Court decisions. It's insane. I was informed by one of my aides just 10 minutes ago that Attorney General Tim Drake has resigned his position as a result of the governor's insane political bullying. Henry Adams has demonstrated a recalcitrance to counsel from the highest-ranking law officer in the state of Texas. Now, what kind of yes-man is Henry Adams going to appoint to fill that post? I don't know, but frankly, after his recent appointment of his extreme-right pastor to be his press secretary, I'm downright worried. We need to restore sanity to our state government and heal our reputation. We should refuse to give him a blatantly unconstitutional bill. He should resign his post and take up a pulpit if he feels so strongly about his religious views. The thump of the chairman's gavel informed the representative that his time was up. Thank you, Mr. Dershowitz. The representative at the other microphone was one of the 14 independent representatives in the state legislature, Miles Franklin. The only thing that embarrasses me about our governor's decision to recriminalize the murder of the innocent within our state is that it took 60 million deaths before someone had the fortitude to finally do it. Polls consistently show, even polls from your pro-abortion advocacy groups, he said glancing over at Mr. Dershowitz, that most Texans are against elective abortions as well as physician-assisted suicide. Governor Adams has promised he will sign nothing else until we put this life bill on his desk. Mr. Dershowitz, do you and your colleagues want to take responsibility for the shutting down of the state government and the failure of anti-crime legislation? He raised his voice for emphasis, trying to capitalize on the political fallout of the riots. Some of you have protested that it is likely that the federal judiciary will overrule this bill after Governor Adams signs it anyway. Rather than let that prohibit us from voting for it, it should ease our minds about it. If it's true that the legislation won't be worth the paper it's written on, as Representative Dershowitz speculates, then let's meet Governor Adams' demands, if for no other reason than to get our other important legislation signed into law. We need to join Governor Adams and do everything in our legal power to protect the God-given right to life of all people, born and pre-born. Let's pass the Texas Life Bill today after a debate limited to two hours max. I yield back the balance of my time and make a motion to vote on it today after a time-limited debate over the wording of the bill. Several in the legislature began to clap as Mr. Franklin gathered his notes and headed to his seat. A few representatives shook his hand as he passed them in the aisle. The chairman put his hand up to silence Mr. Dershowitz's protest. A motion has been made, the chairman noted. Let's have a hand vote on Mr. Franklin's proposal today. Sir, Mr. Dershowitz raised both of his hands and lifted up his voice. I don't think we should succumb to Mr. Franklin's browbeating and shut off debate prematurely. We'll let the assembly decide that, Mr. Dershowitz. But, sir, take a seat. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Representative Franklin was ecstatic that the largest hurdle had been crossed. Voting on whether to have a vote was often the hardest part of passing conservative legislation. Moderates didn't want to go on the record voting against popular conservative legislation, so they put their efforts into sabotaging the bill in committee or amending it until authentic conservatives no longer supported it. A hand count showed that 55% of the assembly agreed to limit debate and to proceed with the vote that very day. The rift deepened. Thereafter, the debate ensued over the details of the bill on which they were voting. Many news stations picked up the debate live and broadcast it around the world. Thank you for listening to this reading from The Revolt of 2020. This chapter was read by Daniel Meyer and engineered by Park Leacock. The Revolt of 2020 and its sequels, The American Tyranny of 2020, and The Uncivil War of 2020, are available for purchase at docjohnstonnovels.com. That's docjohnstonnovels.com. O Lord, turn us back to you. Forgive our sins and heal our land.